If you don't know me, my name is Wayne. I'm one of the clergy here. Um, I am officially banned from talking about rugby from the stage, but James has left the building and mentioned rugby. So in case you're wondering, the World Cup has already begun this morning. And to those of you who are Scottish, very sorry. 27-3 Ireland won. Come on. Um, I was preaching on you cannot serve two masters at the Good Shepherd, which is why I was late here. And I had my phone on. BBC Sport had notifications on. And it was in my pocket. And I was wearing all those robes that Vickers wear. And so I was standing there in the first half when Ireland were kind of like scoring try after try after try. Not really knowing what was going on, except I'd be going, and now we're going to pause as we turn to confession. And my, my leg would go, and I'd be, oh, <laughs> it's a score. Who for? Um, and uh, I managed to hold on till the peace when one of the members of the church family gave me permission to check. Excellent. Right. Um, I'm passionate about quite a lot of things. Uh, I love Jesus. Uh, I love seeing people come to faith. Uh, I'm talking about church. Uh, one of the things I'm really passionate about church is, is the grass outside there. Hands up if you noticed how good it looks. You probably haven't noticed. Thank you, because it looks so good. Now, I cut the grass every week. If you want to, you can ask me if I'll give you permission. The answer is probably no. Um, it's my day off, uh, and I cut the grass, and I don't trust anybody else to do it, okay? Um, earlier this year, we bought a new lawnmower because the last one got stolen. So I researched the lawnmower, bought the lawnmower. The lawnmower arrived in a box in bits. I used to, uh, I grew up, uh, my dad is a, was a kind of gardener, and landscape designer growing up, so I thought, I know what I'm doing here. So I opened out the box, and there was that, you know, there was that A4 paper, papers with all the kind of instructions, put them to one side, because, you know, that's what you do. Put the lawnmower together, started cutting the grass. Good lawnmower. From day one, there was a bit of a problem with the box, you know, the thing you put on the back to collect the grass. It just didn't seem to fit quite right, and grass would spew out of it, and then if too much grass went in, the box would drop out. And, and I was thinking, there's something wrong. Oh, I can't believe I bought a Duff lawnmower. I had something wrong. And Wendy, my wife, said, why didn't you look at the instructions? Why didn't you ring the firm? And I said, no, I will gaffer tape it together. So I gaffer taped the box together, but the problem is sometimes grass is damp, gaffer tape is designed to be pulled up quite easily, so then I would be halfway along and, you know, the box would stop dropping out and the gaffer tape would peel. And it was just, it was, I was beginning to lose my joy. And then, and then, as some of you know, I had, uh, I had an appendix. I had, uh, I had an appendix. I don't anymore. Anyway, I had, an, I, had, I had my appendix removed in, uh, in June. And Tom Hampton, are you here, Tom? Anyway, Tom said he'd cut the grass for me. I'm a little bit nervous, not because it's Tom, just because it was someone else. But I said, yes, okay. When I next saw Tom, the grass looked amazing. And he said, um, cut the grass and I fixed the lawnmower. <laughs> and I said, what's wrong? And he kind of looked at me as only somebody practical look, can look at somebody who isn't practical and went, yeah, um, I, I, uh, the box was inside out. I turned it the right way around and it fitted. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk to you about following God's design for life smooth. Um, And we live in a world where most people have got this sense of almost getting it quite right. But but actually, if they're honest, lots of stuff is gaffer taped together. And if too much pressure comes, things begin to fall apart. And Genesis chapter 2, which is where we're going to turn to now, gives us God's original design for how we were supposed to live life, for how humanity was supposed to live life. And my suggestion is this, that if we discover and follow this, not only will we find our lives a little bit more straightforward and simpler, but actually everybody else will see something wonderful as well. Genesis 2 is coming up on the screen. So this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the Lord God made the heavens, made the earth and the heavens. Just one very quick thing to say. This is the first time the phrase Lord God appears. Up until now, he's been God. Suddenly, as we get to the creation of humanity, he becomes Lord God, which is personal. It's his name. He's, um, and so straight away, even just where we're going, something shifted. Um, we'll, re- we'll read on. 
Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. When the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Fishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Look up the Bob Dylan song. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very good. Right. Um, I want to talk about um, three things that God gives us for um, a design for life, um, to quote the Manic Street Preachers. Firstly, um, uh, he gives us his breath for life. God gives us his breath for life. Um, Life is to be lived um, with God, not apart from God. Um, What makes us human is the breath of God. As I said, chapter 2, it's the first time God is, is relational and personal the Lord God. It's God's breath that is the capacity for us to be moral beings, to have a conscience, to love. And it's that that separates us from the animals. It is the very breath of God that makes humanity. It's the breath of God that forms us in his image. So when we talk about the image of God, it doesn't mean that God has a head and two arms and two legs like um, like we do. It means that actually it's, it's that his breath in us and what that means for how we live, how we understand ourselves and what we yearn for, what we seek. Now, um, this is how we were originally designed to be made. Life with God, not apart from God. As we read on through Genesis, um, so this, and this isn't a spoiler, um, we're going to discover that actually we rebelled against this. In a few weeks' time, we'll discover that we did eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this rebellion has cut us off from the very life of God. So Paul, one of Jesus' early followers in, in a letter to a church in Rome, says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all cut ourselves off from life with God and have chosen to live life apart from God. And later on to the same church, he says, and the wage, what you get for that sin, what you deserve is death. So if you decide you don't want the breath of life, it follows that death comes. But in Jesus, 
we know, we learn, but also we know that this is restored to us. Because actually he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in Jesus Christ is eternal life. And we understand that Jesus takes the consequences of the rebellion that's going to come in a few chapters upon himself on the cross, so that we don't have to face those consequences, rises from death uh, to uh, life in the spirit, which he then shares with all of us. And he remakes humanity. In John chapter 20, which is one of the books about Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus, it says, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. John is deliberately alluding right back to the beginning of the story, to when God breathed on Adam the breath of life. Jesus breathes on his disciples the other side of the resurrection, the life of the age to come, the life of the Holy Spirit. Now this, this is... There's a kind of, we t- I've talked about this, I think, um, two weeks ago. There's a radicalness about the book of Genesis, um, that e- even in the ancient Near East. I'm going to come on to where it gets really radical in a moment. But one of, the rad- one of the things we talked about was the fact that Genesis says there isn't many gods who are having a bit of a barney and a bit of a fight and are struggling with one another, and that's why the world is the way it is. Genesis says there is one God who is loving and who is good and who created the world just by speaking. And in that world, that was a completely bonkers and radical idea. Um, in our world... Um, we say that um, actually the stuff of life that doesn't make sense, the pain in our, the pain, um, the sickness, the, the wars, um, the, the, the crosswords that we want to say that don't say, they are all symptoms, they're all signs of our sin and our rebellion. And that there is one God who has done something about it. And in Jesus has taken all of that to the cross so that we may have eternal life the age that is to come. Um, And so just as Genesis was radical then, saying one God created all of this, um, in our day, one God saves all of this. One God, um, one God alone. It's a really radical and challenging idea um, to to our humanity. And what we understand as the church, the other side of Jesus and the other side of his death and his resurrection in Pentecost, is as Adam needed the breath of God for life, we need the breath of the Holy Spirit for life. We need the Holy Spirit to remake us. So just as the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he raises us from the dead. And we need him to renew us and to restore us. And we need him again and again. Paul will say, be filled with the Spirit. And it's a continual verb. It's be filled, be filled, be filled. That we need the breath of God. If we're going to follow God's design for life, we need his breath in us. Everything else that we will look to, to kind of build our identity or give us our sense of worth, um, won't do it. Um, it's, it's what lots of writers call an idol. It's something that we put up to say, give me all I need. But it's all passing. If it's success, what happens when you're not successful anymore? Um, if it's your good looks, what happens when they fade? If it's, uh, you know, if it's, if it's um, I, I like, right now, I'm feeling quite confident. Uh, you know, we've just beaten the Scots. Japan are next, Georgia, Russia. But then the quarterfinal will come and it'll either be the All Blacks or the Springboks. And, and if, you know, and I probably will, won't show my face for uh, <laughs> a few weeks. You know, actually, if I put my identity in something that I can't control, uh, it will let me down. But if I receive, if I put my identity in God and re- receive his spirit, I receive the breath of life for his design. So as a church, and this ties into commissioning little churches, we are fully committed to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we, we want to say to everybody, whenever you pray on your own, when you um, invite the spirit to fill you for your day ahead, Um, whenever you meet as a little church, whenever you meet with friends, whenever we gather together, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and we invite him to fill us because we know we need him. 
That's the kind of church we are. Because God's design is his breath in us. Okay. Right, that was only point one. Uh, So three things God gives us. First of all, his breath for life. Secondly, his provision and guidance. Um, So your life and my life, all of us together, is to be lived trusting God, trusting in his provision, trusting in his guidance, and trusting where he's put us. So in the text, it says, did you see, it said that Adam is placed in a garden. Actually, this garden has already been created. God created the garden, but Adam is placed in this garden. And there is this sense in the text that Adam is put, his design from day one is to be in a place of plenty and a place of rest. So you have these rivers that flow from the garden that if you, if you followed them down where loads of the early empires um, were along the banks of those rivers, this, this is a picture of there is plenty, there is more than enough here. So God gives us all we need. He also gives Adam the command, which um, our world sets up as a straw man argument. Oh, what kind of God says, here's this garden, here's all these trees and fruit, but don't eat that one. You know, that's a really mean God. Actually, it's back to what it is to be a human being and to have the breath of God in you, in that we are given the freedom and the capacity to make moral choices. That, that's, that's how much God loves us when he creates us. He creates us with that. And so actually the command not to eat the fruit is, is, is not a demeaning of humanity. It's not a putting down of humanity. It's a raising up in responsibility of humanity. And our world seems to, doesn't seem to understand that. It seems to think that, oh, God's down, 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 down. Rules, 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 rules. Well, he's not. He's saying, actually, this is who you are. You're made to, in my image to walk with me, to work the garden with me. Um, and I'm giving you choice. It's the most amazing thing. It's a bit like as, you know, a child grows up the first time. Remember the first time we let Jonathan loose on the buses around Bristol? You know, it was like kind of, it was a moment of like us saying, we're giving you the responsibility to buy a ticket and just to ride buses all day. So he went silent for a bit. I texted him. I said, where are you? And he replied and said, Southmead Hospital. I was like, ah! I said, how did you, what was that? I rang him. What's happened? He went, I got the, I don't know the bus has been, I got the 62 in and I'm getting the 78 out. I was like, off you. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, it's a responsibility thing. Um, and, and that is the picture. Now, the rebellion, sin has wrecked this world. But actually in Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken back into this world. And so in Jesus, we together are placed in God's kingdom. And, and it's in this kind of now and not yet. So we are waiting for the fullness of the eternity to come. We are waiting for every tear to be wiped away from every eye. But in the meantime, we know that the kingdom of God has come and is here. And actually, in the midst of some of the struggles of our lives, the kingdom is still a place of rest and plenty. God gives us what we need. And he also gives us, as we said, his spirit to guide us, but also his commands. He gives us his book so we know how to live our lives. And Adam was given a responsibility in the garden, and we too have a responsibility in where we have been placed in God's kingdom in a world that doesn't yet know him. The people of God, I'm jumping to about... Yeah, I'm jumping to about here in the text, um, found themselves in Babylon um, thousands of years later. Uh, and they were taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And they were having a debate about what to do. Uh, and there was some, uh, what the Babylonians' plan was, why don't you come and live in Babylon, and uh, we'll make you Babylonians, and we'll kind of assimilate you in. Uh, and, and then there were a load of uh, Jewish people who were going, well, no, no, we don't want to do that, because we know we're God's people. So why don't we live outside, uh, you know, Babylon? Let's, let's call it Yate. Um, <laughs> Sorry if you're here from Yates this morning. But, you know, let's not live in Bristol uh, or let's, uh, Clevedon, right? Let's live in Clevedon. And in Clevedon, we won't engage with Bristol. 
except if we have to go in the odd time. But what we'll do is we'll keep, we'll keep our kind of North Somerset kind of identity, and then we won't get corrupted by those Bristolians. And the prophet Jeremiah writes to them and goes, uh-uh. He goes, live in Babylon and stay different. He says, build houses, plant gardens, marry. Um, seek the welfare of your city. And, what he's, and it's this call for them to be in the city but not of the city. And actually that's the call on us um, in our culture and in our fallen world to be the people of the kingdom of God in the world but not of the world and to show what it means that the breath of God is in us, what it means that we know that no matter what is going in our life, going on in our life, that Jesus is enough. And actually when we have tough decisions, knowing actually that we're going to follow Jesus' guidance and Jesus' call. And, and as a church, we are committed to being that kind of people. So the little churches, one of the things we're constantly fighting for as, as a community is how are we as a little church seeking to engage with the people out there? We're not trying to build a club to make us look good. So one of the exciting things is, uh, about the marriage courses as we've run it over the last few years is we've had more people from outside the church on the marriage course than from in the church. And, it's that, and what we're doing is we're teaching about God's design for marriage and God's hope and God's love and God's care for these people. And all of our little churches have this thing that actually we want to be bringing God's love and his light and his presence into our dying world so they may see just how great Jesus is. And so God has given us his breath for life He's given us all we need in his guidance so that we may go and transform culture. Um, and then he's given us um, one another. Um, so so he, Adam is formed. Adam is formed and, and, he's, and he's alone. And actually there's a sense in the text that God sees that it's good for Adam to... Um, uh, it's a brilliant bit in the text. God, God goes, it's not good for Adam to be alone. But also Adam gets it very quickly that God does me long. So one commentator talks about how, like, you know, Adam and God are like, oh, it's not really good for it just to be me. And God goes, well, let, let's, you know, let's, let's, find you, let's find you a helper. And so all the animals walk by and like, no, I, no giraffe's not for me. No, no. And, and basically somebody described it as one of the kind of like, you know, like speed dating moments of the first speed dating moment in history where Adam's just like, no, 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 I'll call that one a cow. Um, and, and, you know, no, no, that's a horse. You know, that's, so it's, he's naming the animals, but also it's this kind of sense of actually in creation that it's amazing, but it's still not complete. And so then we get the creation of woman. And again, this is where our culture gets this book wrong. In the ancient Near East, this was the most radical piece, one of the most radical pieces of literature is about what it is to be a human, male and female, going. Because actually, it was common that actually there was a difference between men and women that made that one was, um, there wasn't equality. And the word that is used in the text, helper, the Hebrew word, Ezer, um, it's, if you were kind of like, it means one who provides what is lacking. It's not one who comes along to do what Adam says. It's one who provides what is lacking. There is this sense firmly in the text that Adam is not able to do as he, on his own what God has called him to do and that he needs a helper. He needs an alongside one. He needs somebody to kind of complete um, what could be happening. And straight there we see this thing that humanity is relational. We are meant to be team. We are meant to be alongside one another, completing where one another is lacking. Sin, which cuts us off from the breath of God, which removes us from the kingdom of God, from the garden, a place of plenty, and, and, and turns us away from God's guidance, also turns us in on ourselves. 
Somebody once said that sin is taking God off the throne and putting me on the throne. But if I put me on the throne, I need to, my throne will bump into your throne. And so one of the, the key problems of sin that, is that it turns us in on ourselves. And Jesus comes back, and in breathing his breath, in breathing the Spirit on us, is, is creating a new humanity which is, enabled, which is to be enabled to relate rightly to one another. So um, Paul... Uh, uses an illustration where he talks about the family of God being one body with many parts, one body, many parts, all of which are necessary. He and Peter talk about the church being living stones in the temple of God, that the place that God dwells, the place you go and see what God is like and what he's up to is his temple. And actually, you and I are living stones in that temple, and we are all needed. Jesus is the cornerstone, but we are all living stones in that temple. The problem with our culture is, uh, in the West is that we have made individual, individuality number one. It's the main thing. As long as I'm okay, it's, it's post-modernity. As long as I'm okay, then everything else will work itself out from there. So we've made individuality number one. And we've also made this idea of um, the, the lackingness that is... It, the lackingness, that's the lackingness, not a really good word, but I'm making up English as I go now. Um, but the bit, the thing, the, the longing that Adam had we confuse, we think is, is, is a physical longing. So we've made intimacy about physicality. Now that's really hard for people who are lonely if actually in and of yourself you're supposed to be all right. It's also really hard for people, um, for a whole host of reasons, um, physical intimacy is impossible. The kingdom of God comes crashing back in and says actually number one is family and community. Being one body, many parts. It's not about me, but it's about us. And number two, true intimacy is found uh, in spirituality. True intimacy is not, doesn't begin with physicality. It begins with spirituality. And into that, everyone is invited. James is going to speak next week on the same passage and foc- focus specifically on what it means to be created male and female. But I want us to hear this morning these, this bit which sets that up, which is the relationality of humanity, the alongsideness of humanity, and the fact that family and community is more important than individuality, and that spiritual intimacy is more important than physical intimacy. If church has failed, church and the wider world, is that we have colluded with our culture, and, and we have colluded with our culture around individuality and around physicality. We have so colluded with it. And we have sold short what a kingdom of God vision is for what these things should look like. And actually, the kingdom of God is a place where everybody can find uh, what they need from God in one another. Whether you're a widow, whether you're an orphan, whether you're single, whether you're young, whether you're old. It doesn't matter your stage. It doesn't matter your marital status. There is family for you. And there is intimacy for you. And if we can get that, when we then tip into other matters, the different, you know, male and female and all those other kind of things, it'll come from that place. But if we don't start with, actually, we are all one body and we're all in this together, and what matters more is us, and, and where we find intimacy is in, is in spirituality first, everything else um, begins to fall short. So that's why little churches are so important to us, because little churches are the place that we do life together. Um, we will be falling short, but what we're seeking to do is we are seeking to build places where people can be real and honest and open and vulnerable and find healing. 
where people can find the kind of intimacy that the Bible is driving for, where people can receive um, the Spirit of God for their life, and where people can step into God's call on their life to be a, a, a transforming agent in culture and in the world around. I went back after my appendix to cut the grass, and it was a completely different experience. The box didn't need gaffer tape and stayed on the lawnmower. And instead of having to empty it every two times up and down, uh, I was able to empty it like whenever it just filled. And interesting enough, I worked out, I think it took 20 minutes off how long it took, took me to cut the grass. That's how dense I was. We are in a world where most people are doing life held together by gaffer tape. And what they need to see is they need to see people who've worked out the design and are putting themselves together rightly. And God has a plan for them to see that, and it's you and me. We have a strategy. It's kind of little church and discipleship. But actually, a church on fire with the breath of God, relying on him for provision and guidance, uh, and seeking to be one family will make a massive impact on a city and on the culture. And that's what everyone is invited into every Sunday, but especially this morning. Amen.